0: Yeah, good morning, everyone. How are we all? Good, good. Um, as Esther's already said, my name is Esther as well. can get a bit confusing, but don't worry. Just call everyone Esther and you'll be absolutely fine. So this morning we're going to be reading from 2 Kings chapter 2. And we're going to be thinking about this passage where Elijah is taken up to heaven and what that might mean for us. And we're going to be looking at what it is to support others And what it is to be supported by others. And I'm going to be finishing off our mini-series that we've been doing on Elijah. So I'm just going to recap on the last few weeks for those who weren't here. Or if it's your first time here today. Just to bring you up to speed on what we've been talking about. So three weeks ago we heard from Stu. And he talked about the mountain. And this was when Elijah was literally having his mountain top experience. He was winning at life. God was doing some amazing stuff, and Elijah was just up there. Then, two weeks ago, we heard from Est, and she took us on this kind of roller coaster journey with Elijah. We heard that Elijah had to persevere. He'd heard God's voice, but he had to wait quite a while before he saw something happen. Even though God had moved and was moving in amazing ways, When things didn't turn out quite as Elijah expected them to, he felt fear and he ran. And then last week we thought and heard about the wilderness. And Est shared about Elijah's time in the wilderness, which is where he ran to. He was alone, he was depressed, and he was exhausted. But God fed him, he nurtured him, he let him sleep, and he let him rest. Esther highlighted to us that it's really easy to miss God's voice when we're in the wilderness, but that some of Scripture's most momentous moments occur not at the start of the journey or at the destination, but in between, in that wilderness. So as I've already said, today we're thinking about the next bit, passing it on, sharing our experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So, if you've got your Bibles... I encourage you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 2, or use your phone. If you haven't got either, the words are on the screen. So, starting from verse 1. It says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and he struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. So just a bit of history about that passage. The journey from Gilgal to Bethel, to Jericho, and finally to Jordan, focuses on places connected with Israel's entry into the promised land. It's about 35 miles long, so for some of us, that's doable in a day. A long day, might need a rest, cafe stop, nourish ourselves a little bit. (coughs) Gilgal was the first stopping place after the Israelites had crossed into the Jordan. You can read about that in Joshua chapter 4. Bethel was the place of Jacob's encounter with God, which you can read about in Genesis 28. Jericho was the first town to fall to Joshua which is in Joshua 6. And the Jordan have miraculously stopped to let Israel enter the land, which is in Joshua 3. The journey of Elijah and Elisha take them through pivotal moments in Israel's history. And once again, the river Jordan is stopped to let them both cross. Not once, but twice. I found it quite interesting that Elijah's ministry ends at this point. But this is where Elisha's starts, at the same spot where the Israelites crossed and reached the promised land. Now, as I was reading this passage and thinking about what stood out to me, the first thing that stood out was how Elijah was called to be a discipler. We, too, are called to be disciplers. God had told Elijah to anoint Elisha as the prophet who would replace him. And you can read about that in 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah was to invest in this young man. Elijah had left the wilderness and he went and anointed Elisha. Now interestingly, God had actually asked Elijah to do three things. Elisha only did this one thing. Elisha was the one who went on and did the other two things that God had asked Elijah to do. It's believed that the time spent discipling Elisha was about 10 years. That's 3,650 days and nights of laughter, tears, training, challenge, accountability, honesty, vulnerability, wrestling with stuff together. This was a lengthy period of preparation. We've got to remember Elisha was going to replace Elijah. Elijah was to teach Elisha everything he knew. He would have shared his experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He would have told him about his time being fed by ravens, the time when he called down fire and showed that the gods of Baal were nothing. He would have told him about that time in the wilderness when he ran from Jezebel and was alone, the time when he was raw And honest with God, and when he heard God's voice as a gentle whisper, he would have shared his fears, his hopes, his successes, but also his failures. When God told Elijah to anoint Elisha and disciple him, it wasn't because Elijah was sorted or the finished product, he was still learning, he was still having those roller coaster experiences. He was still flawed, but God chose him to disciple someone anyway. This applies to us as well. We don't have to be sorted. I don't even know what that means, so if you know, come and let me know later, because that would be really helpful. But we don't have to be the finished product to disciple someone else. We don't have to be able to say that once I was broken, but now I'm fixed. And actually, sometimes when we disciple or support others, it's our struggles, it's our flaws. Those are what encourage the other person. It helps them see that life isn't smooth, that life is, in fact, quite messy. Patrick Reagan, in his book Honesty Over Silence, says this, I believe we need to let go of the harmful notion that there are those in need and those able to help. We are all in need in some way, and we can all help others. Discipling others isn't people management or personnel development. It's not fixing people, seeing them as problems to be solved or projects to be completed. It's the sharing of the life of God in the context of real, loving friendship. Friendship is key, as this is what surrounds accountability and enables us to grow more into who God desires us to be. This is exactly what Elijah and Elisha had. It was more than just a friendship. Elijah seemed to treat Elisha like his own son. He adopted him into his family. And when Elisha asks for a double portion of Elijah's spirit, he doesn't rebuke him for his request. He knows that through all of his experiences, the positive and the negative, God has been with him, anointing him, shaping him and developing him despite his flaws. Now I've been supporting, discipling, mentoring, whatever word you want to put on it, someone for the last four or so years. I don't stand here today thinking that I've got it all sorted just because I support someone else, I am still flawed. Yet I get to share my experiences, both the good and the bad, with that person. Over the years, we've developed this friendship. I know it's not my job to fix her, or to give her all the answers. Sometimes that's hard. We want to be able to give people the answers. I'm there to listen to her, to love her, and to encourage her. In the context of that friendship, I sometimes feel that prompt to gently challenge her, to ask her those awkward questions that we all don't want to have to answer. What I've actually found about supporting someone else is that I sometimes leave that, kind of, um, that time together feeling quite challenged as well, and I have to check myself, am I actually living in the way that I'm encouraging her to live? Has there been things that she's told me she's doing that make me go, oh, I don't think I'm doing that. Oh, that's a challenge. I've seen her grow and develop in the gifts God has for her. And there's been times when she's hurting. And that's hurt me too, because I don't want her to feel that way. I really reckon that Elijah felt the same about Elisha. He would have delighted in seeing him grow in the gifts God had for him. But he would have hurt when he saw Elisha hurting. I wonder how Elijah felt knowing that he was going to be taken to heaven. He knew that he was going that day. He would have to release Elisha fully to God. Fully into the plans that God had for him. Sometimes that's a challenge for us too. When we care about people, we want to hold on to them. But actually, sometimes we need to release them and let God do what God is doing. The thing is, it wasn't just Elisha who invested. Jesus did exactly the same thing. Yet he had 12 people to deal with, Elijah only had one. These 12 people were known as the disciples. They were ordinary people. They were fishermen, carpenters. But Jesus chose to invest in these people and he did so for three years. He spent time with them, not in a classroom, teaching them, but by hanging out with them, eating with them, laughing, crying, praying, just walking around. These disciples followed him. They learned from him and they did more or less, sometimes less, what they saw Jesus doing. He didn't call them pupils. He called them friends. They weren't problems to be solved or projects to be completed. What we can then read about in the Gospel of Luke is that these 12 were told to invest in others and they became the 72. They were were then sent out and they were told to go and make disciples of others. This also applies to us. As disciples of Jesus, we are called to make disciples of others, to be in relationship with them, to nurture them, to be accountable to one another, to share the good, the bad, and the ugly together. But this takes time. Elijah invested in Elisha for 10 years. Jesus invested in his disciples for three and even after this amount of time, the disciples and Elisha were definitely not perfect. Elijah was a discipler, and we too are called to be disciples. <coughs> so the other thing that stuck out to me from this passage was about Elisha. Elisha was a disciple, and if you hadn't guessed it, we too are called to be disciples. A disciple is a follower or a pupil of a leader or a teacher. And I'm just going to read from 1 Kings chapter 19, because I think it's helpful to know a little bit more about who Elisha was. So it's verse 19 to 21. It says this. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elijah then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elijah left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plough and equipment to cook the meat And gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his attendant. Elisha didn't come from a background of prophets. He was plowing a field with oxen when Elijah turned up. So want us just think a little bit about how we might feel if we were Elisha. We're plowing our field. Maybe we're quite content with our life. This is something that we do. And then suddenly, this famous prophet rocks up and puts his cloak over your shoulders. And then he just walks off. I think I'd been a little bit of shock. I'd be thinking, what does Elijah want with me? Now, we're not sure how long Elisha was stood there, but this passage says he had to run after Elijah. So I'm assuming a little bit of time. I think I might be trying to figure out what had just happened and what my next plan was going to be. Elisha now had a choice. Does he go with Elijah or does he stay plowing the field? He would have known who Elijah was. He was a pretty big deal. He'd have an idea of what he was signing up to if he decided to follow him. Now the fact that there were 12 teams of oxen suggests that Elisha was part of a wealthy family. He'd be giving up comfort And privilege to go with Elijah. Yet he went. We read that he's allowed to say goodbye to his family, but he doesn't necessarily know when or even if he's going to see them again. That might not have been easy for Elisha. For some of us, that might be quite an easy thing to do. As a disciple, he was embarking on a journey that wouldn't be easy. He'd be taught tough lessons. To be challenged, certainly be humbled. He may live with practically nothing and have to lay down everything, be vulnerable, admit his fears. But he would also see the wonders of God, and he would learn how to have this wonderful, personal relationship with him. He would get to know the real Elijah, not the tabloid version. then no doubt. It would have been such an encouragement and a relief to Elisha to know that Elijah didn't make perfect decisions all the time. He messed up, but God still used him. After 10 years, Elijah would have changed. He would have been refined. His thinking would be different. His behavior would be different. And he would hopefully be more like the man God was calling him to be. But he wouldn't be perfect. He wouldn't have it all sorted out. He would still have flaws. But Elisha had committed himself to learning from Elijah and sticking with him. And he wasn't about to stop now. In the passage he tells Elijah that he will not leave him, even though three times Elijah tells him to stay. Elisha is committed until the very end. read in verse 9 that Elisha asks for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. This seems like a pretty bold request to me. He's asking for the inheritance that a firstborn son would receive from their father. So he's saying firstly that he sees Elijah as a father and secondly that he wants to be like Elijah but more. He wants to be the heir to Elijah's ministry. Now I imagine that Elijah might have felt quite chuffed at this point. He might have thought, oh yeah, I've done all right. The one that I've invested in actually does want to continue what I'm doing. Ten years worth of investment has paid off. It was time for Elijah to step out. To use the gifts God had given him and been developing in him. It was time for him to do what he'd seen his teacher doing. But we read in the passage that Elisha knew Elijah was being taken to heaven that day. I wonder how he felt that 35 mile journey knowing Elijah was going, but he didn't know exactly when. I wonder how long Elisha Elijah stood, Elijah stood on the bank of the Jordan with the cloak before he struck the water. What was going on in his mind? His mentor, his teacher, his father figure, his friend, had just gone. But then he did what he saw Elijah had done. He took the cloak and in faith of what he had received, he struck the river. Again, this doesn't mean that Elisha is now suddenly sorted. This is the next step of his journey with God. Now I've got my own experience as well of being mentored, discipled, <coughs> supported. And I want to just talk about a particular time when that was incredibly valuable to me. I got baptised on the 6th of February, 2011. And it was an amazing time. That was a time when I decided to publicly declare that I wanted to follow Jesus. And I had friends, and I had my family there, and it was great. But what I didn't predict, couldn't have predicted, is that that evening I would find out some news that would completely devastate me. And it was a time where I certainly knew what coming down from a mountain felt like. You can't prepare for those kind of that news, you don't know what you're going to do. But what I did know is I had someone who was there with me, who would sit alongside me, who would listen, who would love me, who wouldn't rebuke me when my life wasn't matching up with Jesus's for that period of time, who didn't tell me to stop being silly when I was angry at God. Something they also didn't tell me was that everything was going to be okay, because actually we didn't know if it was. But having someone there to support me, to give me wisdom, to have friendship with, who would still make me laugh, who would sit with me through the tears, who would at times share wine with me, which was great. That was really special. And I can honestly say that I don't know, if I hadn't have had that person there with me to support me through that time, I'm not sure I would have continued following God because it was really tough. But just having someone to listen made all the difference. And we've heard in these past two weeks, or three weeks, that it's written in James chapter 5 that Elijah was as human as we are. Elisha. Was also as human as we are. He was a disciple, just as we are disciples. We also read that Elijah had this cloak. This is what he passed to Elisha. Jesus also has passed something to us. He passed us the Holy Spirit. This is what he has left us God's presence. We, all of us here, as sons and daughters of God, are also heirs of Jesus' ministry. And all of us receive the firstborn sons, full inheritance from God, when we accept him into our lives and choose to have a personal relationship with him. This then means that we can do all that Jesus did and more. Doesn't mean it will be easy. We'll have mountaintop experiences, we'll have roller coasters, and we'll certainly have times in the wilderness. But it also doesn't mean that we're doing it alone. We've got people around us to do this stuff with us. Just as Elijah adopted Elisha, God has also adopted us into his family. So, what can we do about this? What does this mean? Maybe you're sat there thinking, do you know, I think I can give my time to someone. I can invest. And maybe God's put someone's uh, name on your heart. I'll just encourage you to talk to someone about it. If that's what you're feeling, just mention it to someone, see what happens. But maybe you're sat there thinking that actually having someone come alongside you and meet with you and support you in your journey would be really helpful. Again, talk to someone ask them. Maybe that's a little bit too intense for you though, and maybe a prayer or discipleship triplet would be helpful, and that's where three people come together. They might, it might be every fortnight, every month, whatever works for you. It's a time to pray, to share, to be accountable with each other, to do life together. If you think that's something that would be helpful, talk to people, talk to another two people, make it happen. But we also heard last week about home groups. We saw a video. And if you think a home group is actually something that is going to be the start for you, there's information out on the welcome desk about the different home groups. So pick up a leaflet and just get talking to people. As I was praying and preparing for this sermon, I just felt that there probably is someone who is feeling a little bit alone and just needs someone to come alongside them. If that's you, I'd just encourage you just to talk to someone. Don't be afraid about being vulnerable and saying that life is hard. There are people here that want to listen and love you through this time. But as I close, and as the band come to lead us in worship, I just want to read this quote from Jeff Lucas, which says, We need to spend time with others so that our trials and struggles as well as our victories and successes will be of service to others whom God is calling.